How to Conquer Habits. Now, um, I was thinking as the message started coming together, and then I noticed as it, I was putting the finishing touches on this that really only a portion of the things that I think might be good to write down um, are um, on the PowerPoint. And uh, you don't have to write them down, but um, if you're like me, you'll rem- forget them just a minute you get out. And so sometimes it's good to have those during the week. So I would just say get your pencil out because I'm just going to start blowing the stuff your way and you're going to need to write it down. This is a good time maybe to use the app. They do tell me that on the app that if you, have, if you haven't updated your app in the last, let's say, 60 days, uh, that you probably just need to trash your old one and reinstall the new one. And uh, that'll give you the new, with all the new features. And it's very helpful because sometime this last week, I think it was, I couldn't remember a certain date for our Bible conference. I was able just to look it up real quick. And so uh, it's very helpful. And you can write notes, email them to yourself, all kinds of things. And the podcast. Because if you can't write fast enough, you can always re-listen to the message. And uh, just push the podcast there. So we're going to talk about temptations. Today, we're going to talk about so many amazing things from Scripture. Now, to build a defense against temptation, we must understand how it works. Every sin originates as a thought. The evil one shoots fiery darts our way. If as a believer we hold on to those thoughts, it becomes a fantasy. From a thought to a fantasy. The problem with fantasies, they can easily become entangled with our emotions. What I've noticed over the year about our emotions is once emotions kick in, wow, it's almost impossible to convince people. I mean, you can, I've taken people from Scripture showing exactly the truth, and it's like a veil's over their eyes, because emotions have hormones, and once a lie gets connected to a hormone, it gets embedded. That's not impossible, but I'm telling you, emotions are powerful. Our uh, thought becomes a fantasy, our fantasy becomes a desire, which turns us to a choice. At that point, We can either choose to consent or refuse. Now, this process is super dangerous because going from thought to choice can absolutely happen in seconds. We can go from a thought to a choice and could have lifelong consequences, if not generational consequences. Now, the Apostle Paul gave us four incredible principles in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 10, and I just, uh, one of my favorite verses, especially on this subject, one that uh, really dear to my heart because my beloved father who's in heaven shared with me. Temptation works, and prayer need is what's used to battle it, but we have to do our part. You probably heard about the guy who was trying to lose weight. He came to the office one day with two dozen donuts. His coworkers asked him, why in the world did you get donuts if you're trying to diet? He answered, well, as I came to the corner where the donut shop was, I told God that he wanted me to buy some donuts to have a parking spot open right in front of the donut shop. 
And on the eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> yeah, prayer works. But we have to do our part, amen? All right, let's bow forward to prayer. Father, thank you. Help us today, Lord. I thank you for the truths found in this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to temptation, mankind in general has three plans. Plan A, consent and comply. They just simply give in. There's a philosophy the day that says, give consent to your desires because they're natural. If it feels good, do it. Whatever is natural is beautiful. And whatever is beautiful must be right. The pop star Madonna in her hit song Celebration said, and I quote, if it makes you feel good, then I say do it. I don't know what you're waiting for. Basically, these people live like animals. Why not? Because they've been taught in school that they evolve from animals. They're just a more intelligent form of an animal. Our youngest daughter, who's just about to begin nursing school, has gone through pre-nursing and had all kinds of medical classes. And in the one class, I think it was nutrition, the teacher just kept always going back to the caveman. And I said, what was she thinking? What would she keep saying? She said, well, every time she'd explain some bodily function or why the body does this or why the body does this, she'd say it goes all the way back to when mankind used to be out there grubbing for, you know, the food and, 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 and he created something. Everything goes back to the caveman. Well, that's the way that this world thinks. It's a caveman mentality. That's plan A, just give in. That's what we did when we were cavemen. Plan B, fight and fail. There are other folks who have the exact and extreme polar opposite. They spend all of their time fighting temptation, but sadly, it's in their own strength. They fight, but they fail. They're very much like the man who said, I can withstand anything but temptation. <laughs> then there's plan C, and that is trust and triumph. Now, trusting in the Lord and triumphing is not a walk in the park, but thank God, it is victory, and we are promised victory. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. As a believer, we always win. Now, on the outside, it may not look like winning. Jesus really didn't look like a winner, I'm sure, on the cross. But I tell you, it was the victory, and God promises that he always, ultimately, we triumph in Christ. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. As I mentioned earlier, this verse means a lot to me from a very personal level. My dad shared this verse with me. It's one of the first verses I ever memorized. My dad must have known I needed it, for sure. But uh, this is a verse that is a powerful verse about temptation. Let's all read it out loud, if you would, please. If you don't have a King James Version, uh, you can see the PowerPoint there, but let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Out loud. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. No temptation is so overpowering, Satan so powerful, demons are not so effective 
Satanic operations are not so subtle. My flesh is not so weak. The human heart is not so deceived that we have to be a victim to temptation. God made us victors and not victims. Now, in these verses, uh, actually verse 12 as well, but in these two verses, I see four very clear principles of victory. Principle number one, remember our predisposition. Now, in verse number 12, it says this, Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth. (laughs) And it's just thinking. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Now, what kind of people are subject to temptation? What kind of people fall into temptation? This is simply a warning to all of us that all of us are subject to temptation. I am subject to temptation. Grandma is subject to temptation. You say, even grandmas? Yep, even grandmas. You say, pastors? Yep, even pastors. I hate to burst your bubbles, but pastors are not perfect. Just ask my wife. A smiling woman greeted a very surprised pastor one day at the end of the service as they were leaving. She said to the pastor, she said, you know, all my life I heard pastors say they were sinners too, but honestly, you were the first one I ever believed. (laughs) In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, in all points, Jesus was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Folks, even Jesus was tempted in all points. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Jesus suffered every temptation that you and I have suffered. Let that sink in for a second. You'd say, Pastor, (laughs) there is no way that my holy Jesus was ever tempted with the vile things that have gone on in my mind. Yet scripture says he was tempted in all points. Didn't say he gave in, it just said he was tempted in all points. And that's why we have such a merciful high priest, because he knows what each of us, there is nobody that is outside of the feelings that he has for us. He knows. He faced every temptation, unbelievable temptation. And we are the same way, folks. Every single day we face temptation. Now, if your mind, temptation is only maybe alcohol abuse or, uh, you know, drug abuse or, you know, some other vice like that, well, then maybe you're not tempted. Maybe that you've battled that and won that. But there are so many other things that we are tempted, pride, materialism, dishonesty, greed, lust, hatred, these things are always with us. Every born-again child of God is subject to temptation. In fact, if anything, we're actually subject to temptation more than the people in the world. You'd say, how is that? Now look what it says in Romans 7, verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. Before I understood sin, before I had the 
gospel preached to me before I understood right and wrong, frankly, life was easier. I was alive. <laughs> I was just happy until somebody came along and spoiled my day telling me what sin was. I was alive without the law. And then when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The truth is, people who have Jesus in them are more alert and sensitive. They're, the emotions of sin, as we'll talk about later, are there. It's the old don't touch wet paint sign. You know, you've gone along, you see some light pole, and there's a little um, sign at the bottom that says, don't touch wet paint. And what are we all inclined to do? Touch it. I never even looked at the pole before that. I didn't even care about the pole. But the minute they had a sign saying, don't touch the law, then I wanted to touch it. And that's what the Bible reminds us of. So that the truth is, any man, any woman, any child who is trying to fight temptation in his own strength, therefore, is headed for a fall. You'd say, well, pastor, I have some very unique circumstances that make the temptations that I face especially challenging and hard. And let me just say this, I would never want to minimize your pain. I know that some of you deal with things from your childhood or from some time in your adult life or whatever. I tell you what, I can't even imagine. I, tragic things and terrible things. And as a result of that, Satan wants you to react in a negative way. But I will tell you this, even as tragic and as hard and as terrible as that is, you are not the first. And that's what this verse says. You see, Satan would love to get us to justify our sin. Denial. Denial leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. Disobedience ends in destruction. Let me say that again. Denial is the thing that we struggle with so much. And I can tell you, after 40 years plus years of ministry, and Pastor Mike, Pastor Luke, Pastor Jeff, Tom, every other pastor in here, those of you who have been very involved in the things of God, you know this is true. The fact is that probably the most challenging thing that we deal with with people is denial. I mean, Folks, I can win a person to the Lord in seconds, but getting them lost, that takes a long time. Because once they're lost and they recognize they're lost, man, they want Jesus Christ. It is the denial. I'm not that bad, or I'm okay, or me and God have an agreement or whatever. The fact is, denial, denial leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience, and dis disobedience ends in destruction. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you. Say that word, taken with me, please. Taken. Taken. God said temptation cannot take you. The Greek word there means to take something with the hand in order to use it. The devil just can't take us in his hands and then use us. He can't do that. He can't just take us. The word temptation is a very important word to look at. Satan can't take us in temptation. The Greek word for temptation is pyrosmos. It can also be translated as test. And so if you have a, 
a physical Bible you're writing or you are taking notes, the word temptation also in other places in Scripture is translated as test. And actually, a test and a temptation are often two sides of the same coin. Follow what I'm saying. Life is full of tests. Life is full of trials. And every trial is a potential temptation. A man took an excellent job with a very good company, given much responsibility. He was super excited. He'd only been on the job a little while, and everybody had left the office one night. And on his desk, everybody gone, he could not believe someone had left a huge wad of cash. He looked at it. He was just so surprised. Immediately took it, put it in his briefcase. The next morning, brought it back, immediately went to the boss's office, put the money down on his desk and said, I have no idea. Somehow, someone accidentally left this money on the desk. I don't know how, I don't know who, but I want to turn it in as fast as I could so that nobody would be worried. The boss looked at him in the face and smiled and said, it wasn't an accident. I put it there. That was a test. You passed. It was a test. But it came along with a temptation. The word temptation in the Greek can also be translated as test. And really with every test, every trial in life comes a temptation. Life offers us those tests constantly. If that man had gone home, opened up his briefcase and began to think, you know what, maybe this is just a blessing from God. <laughs> I'm, I'm broke. I'm, boy, maybe God's just taking care of me. Once the external stimulation becomes an internal solicitation of the heart. It is then turned into temptation. Let me put it another way. Temptation is an inward solicitation resulting from an outward test. Temptation is an inward solicitation resulting from an outward test. Well, let's continue on. Let's imagine for a moment you're having a financial test. In that test, you make a you purpose in your heart, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to budget, I'm going to be faithful to my obligations, and I'm going to make sure I tithe. You're having a trial. The temptation then follows. We only pass the test as we refuse to yield. Maybe you've had a personal disappointment. You've had expectations for someone. They didn't perform. They've been unkind. You've been mistreated. You're suffering injustice. Now, you can either accept it and move on with a trusting heart, or you can get bitter and badder. And when we get bitter and badder, it just goes to worse. It could be true of illness. It could be a test of an unexpected disaster. It could be the death of a, someone in the circle of your love. It could be the test of thwarted plans. It could be the failure to accomplish something you've always dreamed of. It could be the test of facing a problem with no acceptable solution. But these are all the trials and tests of life that if we're not careful, will lead us into temptation. Actually, the word for temptation is the same word as test, and a trial often leads to a temptation. But God is saying here, none of these tests are so powerful, none of them are so unique that you have to be a victim to it. You don't have to give in to it. Nothing is so demonic that I'm helpless. 
In fact, really, no Christian ever falls into sin. We step into it. It is common to man. Look at that part of the verse. It is common to man. That tells me that if there was, if I didn't live in the world, well, it's my environment. You know what? Even if you didn't live in a bad environment, the Bible says we'd still sin. I will say, well, the devil is out there and it's the devil. Well, it's true. We live in a terrible environment and the devil's always out there. But the fact here is that it is common to man. If we didn't live in the world, if there was no devil, we would still be tempted. There was a little boy who hit his little sister. He called her a bad name. He hit her with a broomstick, then spit on her. The mother chastised the naughty little boy and said, you should not have done that. The devil made you do that. He said, Mama, the devil made me call her a bad name. And the devil made me hit her with a broomstick. But spitting on her, that was my idea. (laughs) The fact is, folks, you'd be surprised just how much sin is our idea, amen? And we want to blame the world, we want to blame the devil, but I tell you, the Bible says it's common to man. It comes from our Adamic nature. We all have a predisposition to sin. The other day, I was in our kitchen, and my wife has all this nice fruit, and we fight over the different fruit there. And, oh, I thought you were going to, anyway. And uh, we, uh, I was looking at the apple, and it looked like a nice apple. I picked it out, took a bite of that thing, and I could not believe that oh, inside was this terrible brown, gooky looking. Uh, very seldom that happens, but this one happened. It looked like nice on the outside. Now, how in the world did that worm get inside that apple without anything being seen on the outside. Botanists have told us how that happens. Actually, the way that a worm gets into an apple is not from the outside in, but as a, the insect will lay an egg in the apple blossom. And then sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple and then eats its way out. Sin is like that worm. It begins in the heart. And so God said, don't blame temptation on your environment. Don't blame temptation on the devil. The fact is, it is common to man. Everybody has them. I don't care if you're grandma or pastor or Jesus. Everybody is tempted. Now we may be tempted a little bit different. We all have our besetting sin. The fact is, remember that I am predisposed to sin. Never forget, verse 12 said, don't ever think that you can't fall because your trigger might not be this, your trigger might not be that. Honestly, folks, I, there are some triggers that, I mean, I'm just, I don't think that there's like a 1% chance or a 0.1% chance that I will fall into, but there's some other things. I'll tell you what, boy, those things are right on the edge and Satan knows my trigger. Principle number one, remember our predisposition. Principle number two, if you're going to have a good defense against temptation, remember our provider. Yes, there's no temptation taking you, but it's common to man. He can't take you. It's just uh, he can't take you. It's common, but God is faithful. The word faithful there is the word for trustworthy. 
It indicates a person who is just in their transaction of a business, a person who is faithful in their execution of the commands given to them or the discharge of an official duty. God is officially just in all that he does. Satan is a deceiver. Humans may be false. The world may offer empty excuses, but God is faithful. And my security is in him. He's my only guarantee of success. It's not that God will keep us without any effort of our own. It's just that if I use the proper means at my disposal and avoid temptation as much as possible, and if I will seek his strength and his intervention, then he will be faithful. And that's what this verse is saying. It is saying he is a faithful God. I love that statement, don't you? Faithful God. Say that with me. Faithful God. Say it again. Faithful God. We sing several songs around here about God is faithful. I love those, that one chorus that where over and over again you say, faithful God. Faithful God. I love that statement. I love to call him that. And that's what God tells about himself in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. He said, now therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. Now I know you've been out here in the desert and I know you've been meeting up with Molech and all these other gods, but I will tell you, your God is faithful God. He is faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. And he keeps his commandments to a thousand generations, a thousand generations of blessings upon those who trust their faithful God. He is faithful to his covenant, and God cannot lie. He says in the prophets, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Theology, that's called the immutability of God, he cannot change. Once a promise is made, he can't change. It's against his very nature. He cannot lie. I am the Lord, I change not. God said here in this verse, he entered into a covenant. He stood at an altar. And he's not like us. We stand at an altar and say, till death do us part. And we don't really mean that. It's just words because most, many, sadly, often, they say, I didn't really mean till death do us part. I mean till divorce do us part. Now, I understand there are situations, but I tell you, God always is faithful to his covenant. He entered into a covenant with us. That's a blood covenant. That's what the word means there. God said, I have entered into a covenant with you. It's a blood covenant. He called himself here Jehovah. Jehovah is the covenant name of God. And it suggests so many things about him. The compound name of Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh means he's our provider. Jehovah uh, Rapha, he's my healer. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, he's my peace. There are many compound names, but all of it begins with his covenant name. You see, the world can't call God Jehovah. They can just call him God. But only Christians can call him Jehovah because he's in a covenant with me. You can call me man, you can call me pastor, but you can't call me husband. That's a covenant name. Only wife can call me hubby. And the word husband, for most people, just is a term, but actually... 
in the past, the English mean for husband means someone who farms, someone who cares for things. So the name husband, while it being a covenant name, is suggestive of what it does. God's name is Jehovah, provider. And in this verse, he reminds us that he is faithful. By very name means that I will provide everything you need to fight against temptation. God is faithful. He said, yes, you are given to sin. Yes, the world is after us. Yes, sin, the devil's after us. Yes, your very nature is sinful. But I want you to know the devil can't take you, and I am faithful. I've entered into a covenant with you. You have every resource you need. Number three, not only remember our predisposition and remember our provider, but remember our prospect. Look what this verse says. Who will not suffer you to be attempted above you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. God supervises all temptation. Whether it comes through the world, whether it comes through the devil, whether it comes through the flesh, he supervises all and he promises to limit it according to our capabilities. Now listen closely. Not according to our capability as we rely on ourself. This verse does not mean that he is limiting our temptation based on our capabilities. He's meaning he will limit it according to our ability to depend on Christ. Our level of maturity shows where God will limit the temptation. Satan will destroy us in a hot second if God would let him. Remember, Satan sought permission to destroy Job. He sought permission to absolutely devastate Peter, but God only limited that. And God limits Satan's weapons to how we are capable. Here's a mom that goes into a grocery store. She has her child in tow. They are walking up and down the aisles, but the mother wisely chooses not to go down the toy aisle. She limits the things that her child can see and maybe get attracted to for her own sanity and for the child's well-being. She limits the temptation, pretty sure that it's going to be way too much for this little boy, this little girl to handle. But when this mother goes to the grocery store with her husband, she does not restrict him from going down the toy aisle because he's more mature. He can handle the toy aisle. We, let's hope that he can handle the toy aisle. God keeps us from the things that we can't handle. But what we can handle, God is willing, God understands our situation, and what we can and can't handle changes as we mature. There are certain things when you were a baby Christian that you, you just absolutely couldn't endure when you're older. When you're a baby Christian, God limits. I've seen many people who get saved, and I mean, God starts answering their prayer, and I mean, they feel like they're on a roll, you know, like they just sunk 10 baskets in a row. They're just like, man, I can't, I cannot lose. Man, I can't believe this. 
God's answering their prayer, answering their prayer, and God's doing that for them because they're very immature. And if they prayed and didn't get an answer, they'd be discouraged. So God said, okay. Later on down the line, God knows and God doesn't answer prayer quite as quick and people begin to feel like the heavens are brass. What in the world? God knows. He wants us to dig deeper. And he knows that if we just get everything we need, just like a genie lamp, we're not going to get stronger and more mature. God limits what we can, what we cannot handle. Well, I wish I was rich, boy, like oh so-and-so. First of all, there's all kinds of riches. But second of all, God knows what you and I can handle, how mature we are. It takes a mature person to handle a lot of riches, frankly. And those who have and are quite well-to-do, they have pressures, and the good ones, the good Christian ones, they realize they're deeply their sense of stewardship in the whole matter. The fact is, God gives us what we can handle. Notice what this word says here. It says, God makes a way of escape. The Greek word, ekbasisis. It means literally an exit or an escape hatch. It means God always gives a path to victory. God's never at a loss to help us how to deliver. And the truth is, you just all you have to do is look at the Old Testament. God delivers in ways you just can't believe. I mean, he doesn't always deliver the same way. He, one time he did this for, for Israel, next time he did this, next time he did this, God never repeats himself. And who knows how God is going to deliver us. Psalm 124, verse 7, our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. Our enemy is subtle, he is spiteful, and he is constantly laying snares for God's people. His goal is to kill, his goal is to steal, his goal is to destroy everything good. And I tell you, once you've got something going good, the devil's there to destroy it. And sometimes we get trapped. We're on the verge of giving in. Run as, as unable to get out of that trap as a bird that's in a trap. And God says, then faithful God shows up. And he gets us out of that. And he takes us and he pulls us out of that trap. Remember the prospect. God says there's always a way out. Have you ever caught yourself being tempted by something that is surprising to you? Have you ever been surprised by temptation? Maybe it doesn't fit with your status in life. Maybe it doesn't fit with your gender. Maybe it doesn't fit with your age. Maybe it doesn't fit with how long you've been a Christian. Maybe it doesn't fit for how much you've been reading your Bible lately. Maybe it doesn't fit with how much you've been praying. Maybe it doesn't fit with how hard you've been trying lately. And you've been surprised by the depth of what you've been drawn to. Something so vile, something so hateful, something so deceitful that it surprises even you. And the devil will use that. I read of a dear Christian brother who took on a very challenging ministry of helping men win over pornography. He went to a certain place to minister to the men there. He was staying in a motel room, hotel room, and he said he could not believe the absolute draw that was there for him. 
to look at the things. And he said, after battling that temptation so much in that room, back and forth, back and forth, he said he just was so, just so disappointed, just discouraged, just devastated that he, after all these years, after all that he says, is so taken by the very junk. But you and I are all in the same boat. Now, why does God allow that? Why doesn't God just prohibit that? Why doesn't he just say, you know, I'm going to prohibit that? I'll tell you why. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is telling that dear brother, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, that when you're surprised by the depth and the wickedness and the vileness and the deceitfulness and the hatefulness or whatever of the temptation that you're facing, despite your place in life, the Holy Spirit's reminding us, you're weak. Always depend upon God. He never wants us to get to the point where we feel like, man, I'm never going to be tempted by that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm past that. I am never past sin. I tell you one thing, no matter how old we are, no matter how much we've done for God, we are never above the fact that we can be outside of sin. Pastor Mike and I were talking about that the last couple of weeks, how that, you know, here we are at our age, we're still trying to do what we're supposed to do. Why? You know what? It's not just for the Lord. It's for ourselves. We're doing it because I don't want to become a castaway like Paul talked about. I don't want to become one of those people that's set on a shelf and has lost their testimony. Keep doing what we're supposed to be doing because the devil, well, I'll tell you one thing, he is just out to destroy our minds and our spirit and just destroy our capabilities. Number four, remember our promise. He will make a way to escape that you'll be able to bear it. Now, this word actually, you need to listen because this is an important word phrase, that you may be able to bear it. The word bear it there is very similar to the word for submission. It comes from a Greek word, which means to be under something, bear it. It means to carry it. It means to get under it. God says, you are able to be under this. You're able to be under it and go through it. Now, most of us want a quick and easy solution to temptation, but God said no. He said, you're likely going to have to be under it with the view that God will help you carry the load. The fact is, nothing is so heavy that I cannot carry it. Nothing is so challenging that with God's help, we cannot do this. How do I know that we can bear up? How do I know that we can handle how do I know that I can go under? Because some temptation doesn't go away. I mean, it'd be nice if I could just say no and it's gone forever, but it doesn't work that way. Most of us actually keep being in that same situation. But we know that we can, we are able to bear it. We can stay under it with victory. How do I know that? Romans 6.14 tells us that the moment I got saved, something happened that gave me the power over sin. I'm glad that when I got saved, I was redeemed from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to go to hell, but thank God I have the power over sin. Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Let's say it this way. Sin shall not have dominion 
over me. Would you repeat that with me, please? Sin shall not have dominion over me. And so that's the verse. I'm being tempted. I'm being thrust into something. You just start quoting that verse. I am able to be under it. I can carry this. I can get through it, either by virtue of the resources I have or the strength that God gives me. Whatever the case, God promises, 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. There was a great uh, Bible commentary, a great preacher of yesteryear, Donald Gray Braunhaus. He gave three resources that every believer has. Let me give those to you quickly. Against the flesh, flight. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee youthful lust. You say, wait a second, I thought I was supposed to fight. Well, hold on. But some things we're supposed to flight. You'd say, well, you're talking about just sexual temptation. No, lust can be for anything. It doesn't have to be just for sexual temptation. It's just lust. Something is our lust. It's our trigger point. God said, certain things you fight, other things you run. You know your trigger point. You know your besetting sin. Whatever it is, run. Learn how to be a first-class coward. Be like a Joseph. He's in, the, he's in that room, and Potiphar's wife knew, and he's a strapping, handsome young man full of all those hormones. And uh, Joseph said, there's no way in the world I'm staying here and fighting this one. I'm running. He ran. The Bible tells us to run from some things. Run for your life. <laughs> run for your life. Flight. Against the flesh, flight. Against the world, faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What does faith do? Listen closely. Faith makes God real. What is faith? Faith makes God real. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15. The reason we love the world, because the love of the Father is not in us. A constant worldly desire, think about it, is a dash light that indicates something's wrong with our engine. I have a Volkswagen and I have two lights. I have a red light and a yellow light. One indicates that something's wrong with the fan because it's an air-cooled car. The other one, there's something wrong with the oil. That's it. When one of those two lights go on, you have about two or three minutes at the most to pull over and find something because that car will fry. You've seen Volkswagens all around, all burn up because they just, they, that's a little problem they have. Now, let's say that I see that little red light go off and it's the oil light and I said, why that stupid oil light? I'm so, and I take a, my little uh, tire iron there next to the seat, I take it out there and I just hit that light and said, nah, man, I'm tired of that light. Now, would that be very smart? No, obviously not. We don't break the light. We put oil in the engine. And the fact is, when I am got worldliness, it's a dash light that something's not in me that should be. The Bible says, the, the, when the love of the Father is not in me, then I'm going to be attracted to the world. Put some oil in your crankcase. Load up on Jesus, and you'll be okay. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The fact is, when you're feasting on Jesus and the devil offers you a plate of kale, you just say, no, thank you. I'm already satisfied. I don't need it. You just say, no, I want, the, I want this stuff. Against the flesh, fight. Against the world, faith. Against the devil, fight. You'd say, well, pastor, I seem to do all right against the flesh, and for some reason the world doesn't seem to pull on me, but I'll tell you one thing, the devil has my number. I get these thoughts in my mind. I suffer from depression. I mean, the devil's just fiery darts all the time. My, my battle is my brain. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. Now, there are bad fights. <laughs> That's when I'm fighting against the reproofs of God, against my sin. That's not a good fight. But there are good fights. And good fights are when we've made commitments to break a habit. We find ourselves swimming upstream. It's like someone who's a child, a young man who's been taught how to play baseball. Young, he's taught the right habits. But if you have somebody who just was able to do whatever they wanted, then have to, the coach has to break the bad habit and then give them a new habit. But those bad habits are hard to break after they've been ingrained for 10 plus years. And folks, once we've been sinning and giving in to temptation for years, maybe decades, boy, those motions of sin come back. That's what it says in the book of Romans. It says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin. It takes weeks to get new habits. And those old habits are motions of sin. And the devil has a way of igniting those motions. I don't know what it is about him, but he knows our motions. He knows those ghost habits, those, even if I'm, even if I'm concentrating and I'm stepping into the ball like I'm supposed to, those old habits just want me to drop my bat or whatever. You know, those motions that I've been doing all these years. And we have ways of doing things that just, we, the devil's had our number. I mean, he's been kicking us around. We've been the devil's punching bag for years. And then we determined to do right. We determined to start fighting for God. And it's a good fight. God said, don't give up the good fight. Don't give up the good fight. Now, the bad fights, there's something wrong. If you're fighting against God, that's a bad fight. But if it's a good fight, you're fighting against the devil, then don't give up. You'll win. Because the motion of sin has been broken by the dominion of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling us here. He is telling us we have the victory. You say, what do I do? You just say, Satan, I bring the promise of God's word against you. I bring the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ against you. I resist you in the name of God Almighty. My temple is the body of the, is the temple, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it belongs to God. It is the property of my God. I resist you in the name of God. And God reminds us to conquer through him. No temptation has taken us, but just as common to man. But God is faithful. He's made a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. We can go under it. We can go through it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.